Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Have you ever noticed how difficult it is to be in the right? That's because the word right is a relative term. Right means something different for every person. We as followers of Jesus can't do what's right in our own eyes. We must follow Him and do as He does. So today we're going to attempt to tackle an important issue as we conclude the story of the woman at the well found in John chapter 4. So grab a Bible and get prayed up because this message is entitled Politically Correct Christ. Are you ever in awe at how messed up and how divided our nation has become? You know, many people in our country, they believe that it has never been more divided than it is now. And I think that's a little unfair, since during the Civil War, people were literally killing each other over, on a grand scale over political issues. And in some cases, they were their own family members. Now, I think it's undeniable that we're divided. But are we the most divided, or can things get worse? You know, I, I think uh, it's an incredible time to be alive. Honestly, and, and I'm not just trying to be an optimist here, I, I think we, we genuinely live in an amazing time with all of our technological advances. And, and I think it's, it's also a difficult time to live in because we're constantly confronted with offensive issues, um, especially on social media. Um, like, for example, we're constantly bombarded with slogans like Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and even White Lives Matter. Just turn on the news and you'll hear stories about police brutality and abortion and feminism and homosexual rights and stem cell research and euthanasia and the death penalty and heightened divorce rates and testing medication on animals and maybe even how wrong it is to wear animal fur. And I think because we're confronted with these issues on a regular basis, we feel pressured to choose a side. Maybe people are putting pressure on us. Where do you stand on these issues? And as followers of Jesus, we might even often ask ourselves, where would Jesus stand on these issues? Because after all, I'm trying to follow him, so where would you stand, Jesus? And while I think this is a great question to ask, instead of asking it to figure out how we can emulate Christ, I think what we often try to do is we try to reduce Jesus to our line of thinking. In other words, we don't really want to be like Jesus, we want Jesus to be like us. And so maybe we present Jesus in a light that, that looks a lot like us. Well, in today's passage of Scripture, I just want to try to prepare you um, because in light of all the offensive messages in the world, the police brutality, the homosexual rights, the pro-life versus pro-choice, on and on and on and on, Jesus doesn't seem to relieve us of that pressure. Instead, Jesus brings an offensive message of his own. Last time we talked about how Jesus can overcome our prejudice and our pride and our tradition with his interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. We read these things, and, and, and it's incredible how Jesus is able to do these things. But I think these truths come to a head in the passage that we're about to read. However, what we're also going to see is that Jesus doesn't always fit into the mold of being that sweet little baby Jesus. Jesus grew up, and Jesus had offensive things to say. 1 Peter 2.8 refers to Jesus as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Let's face it, Jesus is offensive. So I want you to be prepared because things are really about to get real. I want to read John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. This is what it says. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went to the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and they were coming to him. 
Meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one has brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life life eternal, so uh, that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap what you have not labored for. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor." From that, uh, in verse 39, it says, From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we now know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father God, we know that um, that you had an offensive message in this passage of Scripture, and, and it's going to be hard to, to study about it. I just ask, God, that as, as we go through this passage, that you would just give us the enabling of the Holy Spirit to understand what it is that you're trying to communicate, and help us, Father, to turn our lives completely over to you, that we too might be the ones who say, it is no longer because of what I have heard somebody else say, it is because of what I have experienced that I know that Jesus truly is the Savior of the world. Father, help us to 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 dissect this passage, and Father, we're going to give you all the glory and all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, despite how this passage might be used, I mean, because this is a powerful passage of Scripture. Um, people use it for evangelism. Sometimes people uh, promote... Um, a message that, that isn't necessarily what this mess, this passage was included for. Um, despite how this passage might be used, Jesus' words of offense aren't directed towards chauvinism. Um, there, there are some powerful points that can be made about this passage. First and foremost, the, the fact that Jesus was talking to a woman. Verse 27 says Jesus' disciples were amazed that he was talking with a woman, yet nobody asked her, what do you want? Or they didn't say to him, why are you speaking with her? And I think they were amazed because this was way out of character for Jesus. Jesus shouldn't be wasting his time talking to women. But here he is, talking to a woman. Well, in biblical times, it was considered to be a waste of time to instruct women. Women couldn't hold office. They couldn't run a business. The only way they could own property is if their husbands had died and they had no sons to bequeath it to. Women were, were, were more closely regarded to possessions than people. You might think, well, why the disrespect? I think it stemmed uh, from the biblical evidence that Eve was deceived by the serpent. For example, the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 2.14, as Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who, dece- who was deceived and became a sinner. And, and he's, he's trying to, to promote a, an understanding um, that, that was highly regarded in their culture. Now, I understand this is a hot topic, but just try just for a second to get a look at what was going on inside this culture. Women weren't educated like men were, so they couldn't be used as reputable sources for witnesses. So why would anybody waste their time? For example, when the Apostle Paul gives an account of who first saw the resurrected Christ in Acts, he says it was Peter. 
However, the Gospels say that it wasn't Simon Peter who first saw Christ, but Mary Magdalene. So why did Paul leave her out? Because women weren't used as reputable sources, and because Paul was talking to important men, and he was trying to convince them that the resurrection was true. If he had led with, uh, it was a woman who saw it, they would have completely discredited everything that he had said, and they'd have thrown it out and went along their merry way. Which I think is what makes the Gospels that much more authentic. <laughs> that, that Mary Magdalene was the first to see Christ. And they stuck to their guns. So it's, it's pretty incredible. But yes, it was offensive. It's offensive to consider women inferior. But that was the culture in which these people lived. And yes, I know things are different today. We live in a different culture. Women have the same rights as men. Women can vote, own property, receive an education, hold the highest office in a major corporation. They can even run for president of the United States. Understood. Understand this, though. Advances in women's rights aren't because strong women got up and spoke. Advances in women's rights are because, not because we're so much smarter than people who lived in biblical times, or better, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. His discipleship movement advanced women's rights. Women and children were regarded as second-class and even third-class citizens, even possessions, until Jesus arrived onto the scene. So I just wanted to say this to every single woman listening. To get the respect that you deserve, don't attempt to be the woman that our culture says that you should become. Become the woman Christ is calling you to be because he is your advocate. You don't need a different advocate. Christ is your advocate. And while these... This is a powerful passage of Scripture in favor of treating women with dignity and respect. That's not what this passage was about. Because his offensive words weren't directed towards chauvinism. Jesus' offensive words weren't directed towards racism. Now, there's a well-known argument that happens in the book of Acts between Peter and Paul. Peter believed the church should only be ministering to Jewish people. Paul argued that the Jews had rejected Christ, and so the ministry and the message should be taken instead to the Gentiles. That's you and me. So thanks, Paul. But initially, when you read about this exchange, you begin to get the picture that the Apostle Peter was a pig-headed racist. Like, white power? Like, like, what's the matter with you? Who does Peter think that he is to leave out Gentiles for salvation? But keep in mind that when Peter said these things, he wasn't being racist. He was being obedient. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, 5, and 6, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. On another occasion, and this is highly offensive, a woman came to him and asked Jesus to cast out the demon out of her, out of her daughter. And Jesus responds in Matthew 15, 34, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And in verse 26, he says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. These are extremely racist things for Jesus to say. So why would Jesus have told his disciples to minister only to the Jews? Was he racist? Listen, Peter wasn't wrong in sticking to his guns. In fact, Peter was justified because he was doing exactly what Jesus told him to do. And you have to admire him because it sure makes him look pretty, pretty bad. He's the bad guy here. But he was doing what Christ told him to do. His attitude was this. I know what Jesus told me. And until Jesus tells me otherwise, I cannot carry the message to them. 
In fact, it took an act of God to change Peter's mind. One night he had a dream, and to make a long story short, God instructs Peter to take the message to the Gentiles, which he then does. So yeah, Peter wasn't a racist, he was being obedient. So why would Jesus tell his disciples not to go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans? Yet here, Jesus was sharing the gospel with the Samaritans. Doesn't, does that make Jesus a hypocrite? I think the answer lies in the fact that Jesus tells us what we need to know, when we need to know it. Before the message could be taken to the Gentiles, God had to make good on his promise that he would bring salvation to his chosen people, the Jews. And once Jesus had become a stone that the builders had rejected, the Jews rejected Christ, he was the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, then God instructed that the message be extended to all people. Everything happened according to God's timeline. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So it might not seem it. Jesus was the ultimate advocate that race should not keep a people from fellowship with God and with the church. But despite how true that is, in this passage, Jesus' offensive words weren't directed towards racism. That's not what this passage is about. Jesus' offensive words were directed towards his disciples. Jesus told his disciples, I have food that you know nothing about. And while we like to think of Jesus as being facetious, Jesus was being extremely offensive. Consider what he was saying. You guys don't know anything. You're so ignorant. Consider this. Our author, the Apostle John, includes in his letter so far four ways that we are spiritually blind. Four ways that mankind has misunderstood Christ's message. For example, Jesus tells the Jews in John 2.19, Destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. And the Jews, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Like, this literal temple took us years to build. And you're going to raise it up in three days? But Jesus wasn't talking about the temple. Why did they think that he was? Because they're spiritually blind. He tells Nicodemus in John 3, 3, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, he didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Must I enter my mother's womb and be born a second time? I don't understand. That's because you're spiritually blind. In John 4.10, Jesus talks to the woman at the well about living water, and she doesn't have any clue what he's talking about. Sir, the well is deep, and you have nothing to draw it up with. Are you greater than our father Jacob? What are you talking about? I don't have any clue. That's because you're spiritually blind. And here in John 4.32, Jesus says to his disciples, I have food that you know nothing about. Did somebody bring him food? No, 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 guys. You're ignorant. You're spiritually blind. Jesus' offensive words are that we, as human beings, even as his disciples at times, we are blind to the ways of the Spirit. Notice John tells us in verse 28 that the woman left behind her water pot. Why is that important? Because that was the whole reason that she came out there during the heat of the day. And she ended up talking with Jesus. She was thirsty. She needed something to drink. Why did she leave it behind? 
because she wasn't blind to her true thirst anymore. Jesus opened her eyes and he showed her the gift of eternal life. Why does, why does, think about this. Why does John include this story? What's the point? John didn't, didn't include the story for the benefit of feminism. Although, as I said, Jesus is an advocate for women. He's the advocate for women. You deserve respect. Jesus is your advocate. Jesus didn't include this story for the benefit of ending racism. Although I do believe Jesus would have us love each other despite our skin color and despite our country of origin. Why did Jesus go out to talk to the woman at the well? I realize that I might get some pushback on this, but allow me to try to tell you why I believe this passage is included. I believe Jesus manipulated this whole situation. He knew where this woman was going to be. He knew when she was going to be there. He knew that once he talked to her, that she was going to go back to her town and bring a lot of people back to himself. He knew that once he got, got, he, he starts heading that direction, his disciples are going to go try to find food. And they're going to come back later. But I don't think that he, that he did all of this strictly for the benefit of this woman. I know that's, that sounds harsh. I don't think he did it for the benefit of the Samaritans who were desperately hoping for a Messiah would come. Yes, that's a good thing, but that's, that's the icing on the cake. Why did Jesus do this? I believe he did this strictly for the benefit of his disciples. I believe he was trying to show them something very important about their spiritual blindness. He was showing his disciples three very special, very important, very powerful characteristics of a genuine disciple. First, genuine disciples of Jesus, they love to talk about him. Genuine disciples of Jesus just can't shut up about him. Notice in verse 29 that this woman runs back to her town and she says, come see a man that told me all the things that I've ever done. This is not the Christ, is it? Think about that for just a second. Yes, we know it was miraculous that Jesus revealed all he knew about this woman. But could it have been possible for her to rationalize how, rationalize how Jesus knew all this stuff about her? I mean, she, she was no doubt known in her community for being a woman who'd been married five times and, and was now living with a man that she wasn't married to. Why would she come in the heat of the day? Probably because she didn't want to be around people that talked about her all the time. So all Jesus had to do was hang around and he probably would have got the whole story. Why was she amazed? Because the Spirit opened her eyes. Just, just for a second, take yourself and, and, and put yourself in her shoes for just a second. Picture this scenario. This woman is you. Let's say you're sitting at a fountain in the mall, and I walk up to you and say, Hey, how how you doing? And you say, Oh, pretty good. And I, I say, Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, how's uh being married five times and having failed marriages treating you? How's it going living with somebody that you're not married to? How's that how's that working out for you? Wouldn't you be offended? Like, who do you think you are? Are people normally offended when you start talking about the sin in their lives? Have you ever tried to talk to somebody about the sin in their lives? Every time I've attempted this, I've ended up regretting it. Because my genuine concern for them was always met with offense and indignation. I once tried to tell, tell my own brother that I was concerned about him and that I wanted to help him because I knew what he was doing wasn't right. He posted on Facebook, I was dead to him. 
People don't like having their sin thrown in their face. Yet that's exactly what Jesus did to this woman. So why wasn't she offended? More than that, why is she leading conversations with like this with other people? Come listen to the man who told me all about my sin. It's because genuine disciples of Christ love to talk about him. They love to talk about what he has done in their lives. And as ridiculous as we try to make sharing the gospel be, like, like, like we, we tend to we, we tend to like blow away out of proportion and think, I don't really know how to do that. It's not really that hard. We simply talk about what Jesus has done for us personally. And the best part is we somehow don't mind talking about the sin in our lives. Understand that before Christ found me, I was ashamed at how I'd been living my life. I didn't want anybody to know what kind of sinner I was. And so I wore a mask. Don't try to talk to me about my sin. My own mother tried to talk to me about my sin, and I disowned her. I don't know you. I hate you. But see, now that I'm his, I don't have any problem in the world talking about my past. I'll tell you what I've done. Why? Because the greater the sin in my life, the more beautiful Christ becomes. I cannot wait to share the message about Christ, especially, especially with people who are looking for someone to save them. Let me tell you what Christ has done for me. I love talking about Christ. That's because genuine the followers of Christ, genuine disciples, love to talk about him. Jesus also showed that his disciples, you know, his disciples needed to see genuine followers love to do his work. Here is a woman who ran off to men who judged her harshly. She didn't care that there was likely bad blood between them. She was overjoyed to not being lost anymore. And she ran up to these very same men who she couldn't stand to be around. That's why she went in the heat of the day. She didn't have to be around their wives and them. Well, all they're going to do is talk about her. She didn't care. She ran right up to him and said, come meet the man. Come meet the Messiah. Jesus tells his disciples, you guys act like you've got it all figured out. You know how to harvest, right? Let me tell you, you don't know squat. I tell you, lift up your eyes and look. At this moment in time, I believe Jesus was giving his disciples spiritual sight. He was showing his disciples that genuine followers love to do his work. Despite their background, despite the bad blood, all I want to do is get out and do your work, Jesus. And here's the best part. Had Christ never intended to intervene in this woman's life, she would have continued to go on her way, hated and despised by her own community, probably hating them right back. But Christ made a special trip just for her to show his disciples the joy of salvation. What's amazing is that this woman, who was a center of grand proportions, the most unlikely vessel to do God's work, she leads her village to Christ. Verse 39, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things I have done. You know, if I was a younger man, I would tell you 
that it's up to you to share your testimony with conviction and passion. But the truth is, is that it is the Spirit who opens our eyes to see. And the Spirit used this woman to do it. In this passage, we see yet another characteristic of a genuine follower of Jesus. Genuine followers love to be in his presence. Did Jesus all of a sudden stop being a Jew? Did racism end once and for all when this crowd came to Jesus? No. Then why in verse 40 does it say, So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Why does it include that? The reason why is because genuine followers love to be in his presence. Just stay with me, Jesus, just a little bit longer. No, 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 I know, I know you're busy. I know you got bigger problems, but just stay with me a little longer. I don't want to leave your presence. Genuine followers don't leave Jesus at church. They take him with them wherever they go. And you know, that's so much easier said than done. Because there's things in our lives that we don't want Jesus to see. We should know we can't hide those things for Christ, right? We should know that that those are the things why Jesus died on a cross for us. And yeah, we feel ashamed for good reason. We need to turn those things over to him. But don't think for a second that you get hit with a lightning bolt and all of a sudden you're a new person who doesn't struggle with the same old sin anymore. That one Sunday morning you're going to get up and say praise Jesus and never have any more temptation. Discipleship and repentance are a process, not an event. So invite Jesus into the inner sanctum of your life. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's awkward. But keep in mind that Jesus is patient and he's persistent and he knows what you need. He knows you better than you know yourself. Genuine followers, they don't shut him out. Genuine followers will do anything to be in his presence including turn over that sin that we love so much. I think we argue about politics and we get all caught up in social issues on social media because much of the time we're just spiritually blind as to what's really going on. Jesus wasn't concerned with being politically correct, although some could try to convince you otherwise and maybe even run on his platform. Jesus was devoted to teaching his disciples how to see. We all need spiritual sight because without the intervention of the Holy Spirit, we are blind. We can't see the spiritual warfare going on around us. We are being called to talk about him, to do his work, and to stay in his presence. And we cannot do this by trying harder. We can't do this by watching super Christians and trying to emulate them. Let me share a story with you, and and, and I'll close. A father took out three sons, his three sons out into a field, and he told them, I'm going to go stand on the other side of this field, and I'm going to give the reward to the one that can run the straightest line. As the father went and stood at the other side of the field, and on his signal, the three sons took off running. They're running across the field to their dad. 
But the first son, he was so eager to make sure he was running in a straight line, he watched his own feet. And because he wasn't looking where he was going, his line was far from straight. And so the second son just watched the first son thinking, you know, if I see how, how he's running his line, maybe I can just try to be a little bit better than him, and my line will be straighter, so I'll win. But because he wasn't watching where he was going, his line was far from being very straight either. The third son, though, raced across the field and was the one who received the prize for the straightest line, not because he watched his own feet or because he watched the feet of his brothers. He ran the straightest line because he put his eyes on the Father and he ran straight to him. Now, the moral to the story is this. We can't do the will of God by watching ourselves and trying to be better. I'm going to just get out there and try to talk about Jesus, and, I, and, and I'm going to get out there and do his work, and I'm going to try to be happy about it, and, and, and you know I, I'm just going to try to be in his presence all on my own. You can't do the will of God by watching yourself and trying to be better. Nor can we walk a straight and narrow by constantly watching our siblings and just trying to be a little bit better than them, maybe even correcting them all the time. The only way the only way we can do the will of God is by doing what Jesus told his disciples. Lift up your eyes. We must place our eyes onto Jesus and follow him. We're not here to be politically correct. We're here to be followers of Christ. And followers love to talk about him. They love to serve him. They love to be in his presence because their eyes are are on Him. Joyfully talking about Jesus and serving Him and, and longing to stay in His presence is a gift that comes from Him. So lift up your eyes and you too will be one who says exactly the same thing that the Samaritan says at the end of today's passage. You know, preacher, it's no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.